So, Second Chronicles 27, Jotham, verse 1. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord, but still the people acted corruptly. And so, the last time we were here in Second Chronicles, we studied his father Uzziah. Uzziah was a man who, 26 verse 5 says, he sought the Lord. Not to be confused with merely doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord, he actually sought the Lord. And we talked about the difference. King Joash was a, a king who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But that really just meant he was religious. He did the right things, the things that Christians are supposed to do. But at the end of Joash's life, he was confronted by a prophet, and he killed the prophet. Uzziah sought the Lord, and he was confronted by a prophet because he, like Joash, did something really foolish stupid and he was confronted but he repented david too was a man who sought the lord he was confronted by a prophet and he was grateful for the prophet for confronting him seeking the lord doesn't mean we're not going to fall away from the lord or do something really foolish but what it will mean is that when we're confronted by a brother, sister, or the Word of God, we will say, what on earth was I thinking? I need to turn back to the Lord. But that was Uzziah, and Uzziah was a mighty king, and he reigned for 52 years. His son had the benefit of watching his father, who was a man of God, rule the land. He had the, the benefit of seeing that. Says he, this guy Jotham uh, became king when he was 25 years old. It says that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but verse 6, that, and that's not enough. We've established that because that's just what is religious. You guys know, know to do what is right in the sight of the Lord. You go to church, you, I don't know, pay money to, uh, to give the first fruits of your income to church if you, if you can. You, you serve a church, you read the Bible, that's doing what was right in the sight of the Lord, but seeking the Lord, seeking his heart, seeking the presence of the Lord, seeking the joy of the Lord, seeking the wisdom from the Lord, opening up your heart and saying to the Lord, search me, examine me, see if there's any wicked way within me and lead me on the way everlasting. That's seeking the Lord. So it says he does did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but that's not enough. But what we read in verse 6 is that he became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord is God. 
That's another way of seeing, saying he sought the Lord. He had a relationship with God. He opened up his heart to the, law, uh, to the Lord. It says that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah had done, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord. And you remember what... Um, so if you were with us a month ago, and your memory is pretty good, <clears throat> you will understand that that's a good thing, that he didn't enter the temple of the Lord. If you didn't know any better, you'd think, well, wait a second, he didn't enter the temple of the Lord. What does that mean? He didn't go to church? No, the problem is, it, what's it, what it's referring to is his father, towards the end of his life, it says that... Um, yeah, of his father Uzziah in verse 16 of chapter 26 is that his, he became strong in his heart, meaning his pride lifted up and he said, you know, I'm, I've been a king for 50 years, I want to be a priest. And he went in and burned incense. And that's like a big, 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 big no-no because there's only one really who would do that in a way that was pleasing to the Lord, and that was Jesus Christ. And when you and and when you mess with that imagery, there was there was um, prophecy that G, the Messiah would be the priest. There was prophecy that he'd be the prophet, and those would be merged. And man, when you tried to and when you were a king and you tried to to play priest, oh boy, was that a serious sin? And he leprosy broke out on him. He was confronted by a bunch of priests and. He at first got real angry until he realized leprosy had just been struck on him. Uh, he had been struck with leprosy, and he, he ran out of the temple. And then he had to live out the rest of his days um, uh, with leprosy. And his son uh, sort of reigned at the same time as him. By the way, that's similar to David and Solomon. They had a short period of time where they both were king. Same with Uzziah and this man, uh, his son Jotham. So, it's, so when it says, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord, that's, that was a good thing. He didn't enter the temple of the Lord trying to play the priest. And I hope my kids uh, do that what I do. I hope they follow my footsteps. But also they don't do the stupid things that I have done. <laughs> And that's what Jotham does. It doesn't have any record here that he, he did uh, anything wrong. There's no blight on his testimony. But the end, the, at the end of verse 2 it says, But still the people acted corruptly. And it is so... It is such a temptation to go around along with the crowd, even the crowd at church. And those of you who have been under my teaching for a while, you've probably heard me say this, don't just go along with the crowd at church if that crowd is doing something contrary to the Word of God or something that makes you uneasy. There's been little crowds of people at Calvary Chapel in the city. They go off and they... they they do real stupid things, and I'm not, I'm not being critical of the sheep, it's just it's what happens in every church, and, and someone gets caught up in it, and they just follow it. No, you be the one to say, no, 
I'm not going to do this. <laughs> you're, you're, you're speaking about this person, these people, and you're gossiping, or you're drinking too much, or you're d doing whatever. No, don't do it. It's just so tempting to be like Jotham, to be in the, in, in the feet of Jotham, the people around him are acting corruptly. Well, these are God's people. Children of Israel were all God's people. I guess it's not the worst thing in the world to just do the same stuff as them. No, he, didn't say, he did not do that. It says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And it says he prepared his ways before the Lord, but still the people acted corruptly. You will be judged based upon the word of God. Romans 14 says, for, for the things you do, good and bad in the body, not compared to everyone else. You're not going to be judged compared to everyone around you. You're going to be judged compared to the word of God. That's what the judgment is. Of course, ultimately, we all fall short. Before the Lord, we, need, um, we plead the blood of Jesus on, on judgment day. But there's going to be um, a judgment, and we don't want to say, well, you know, I just did what everyone else in church was doing. No, you be the one in church to bring everyone up to a different level, not to be brought down to their level. It says, verse 3, he built the upper gate of the house of the Lord, and he built extensively on the wall of Ophel. Now, we're going to see his son, unfortunately, his son is going to be an exceedingly wicked king, Ahaz. Not to be confused with Ahab in the north. Ahaz was a wicked king who is going to board up the temple. He's going to shut it up. He's going to... Can you imagine having that on your record? We're going to read about it. He shut the doors of... Uh, and boarded up the doors of, of the temple. But he didn't get that from his father. So many children out there and, uh, who they, they grow up with godly parents and, and, and they walk in a different direction. This guy built the temple. Anytime, by the way, we see it in the book of Judges and other places where the house of God is crumbling or the Levites don't have jobs, the Levites who are supposed to be teaching the word of God, they don't have jobs because people are putting their money where their heart is and... Um, here he is putting his money, he's putting the treasury where his heart is. It says he built, verse 3, he built the upper gate of the house of the Lord and he built extensively on the wall of Ophel. So he's building up the temple. The best thing he can do as a king is to build up the people spiritually. Moreover, he, verse 4, he built cities in the mountains of Judah and in the forests he built fortresses fortresses and towers. He also fought with the king of the Ammonites and defeated them. And the people of Ammon gave him in that year 100 talents of silver, 10,000 cores of wheat, and 10,000 of barley. The people of Ammon paid this to him in the second and third years also. So remember Ammon, the Ammonites, their descendants of Lot. When Lot got drunk, had sex with his daughter, and... And then the people that descended from them were enemies of the people of God, the Ammonites, as well as the Moabites. There were two kids. 
And it says, so Jotham became mighty, verse 6, he became mighty, he became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. So I typed up this little verse on my computer, I printed it off, I cut it out, and I put it over the door of my son Sam. And some of you got to see Sam with his big old fro a couple Sundays ago. He's he's become little, or a big, mighty, or big fro, big mighty man of God. He prepared, my son Sam prepared his ways before the Lord his God. And this this is just a beautiful verse. I love this verse. He prepared his ways before the Lord his God. Meaning, okay, do I do this? Do I do this? Do I do this? Let me, let me put the word of God out. Let me, let me get godly counsel. Do you, do you, sitting here tonight, do you prepare your ways before the Lord your God? Are you preparing yourself for marriage someday? Are you doing it before the Lord, with the Lord's counsel before you, before the examples of godly couples before you? Or, or, or your, your career or your career choices or whatever it is that you're wanting to do, are you preparing your way? Are you preparing your way before the Lord your God? Or you're so, sort of, are, you, are you just using your human instinct or... Your, your education or whatever, you know, I, I, I came to the Lord in one sense under a great disadvantage. I did really well in school, in college, and I went on graduate school, I did real well, and that's when I became a Christian, and, and, and what happened was I just continued my Christianity just doing things that in such a way, um, using methods that I had, I had developed over time, which led to success, meaning hard work, meaning discipline, meaning punctuality, and all those things, and, and because it, without really relying upon the Lord, meaning these things were not bad things, but, they, but, but the Lord's economy is, is really, really different, and so I had to sort of unlearn the ways of doing things correctly to become dependent on the Lord. It's like, okay, Lord, I know this is, this is the way, this is an intelligent way of going, but that doesn't mean it's your way. It's a good idea, but doesn't mean it's God's idea. And uh, this guy, he grew up, Jotham, just preparing his ways before the Lord. And so it took me a number of years to really prepare my way, which direction was God's way. And, 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 and because it, many of you know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Your own understanding will get you into a lot of trouble. And so we have to unlearn a way of thinking into a new way of thinking. 
just, Lord, I, I know my understanding says this is the way I should go. But preparing your ways before the Lord is saying, okay, Lord, but what, what do you want me to do? And it's sometimes very illogical, very risky, brings us out of our comfort zone. And, um, and uh, it's done in a way very, very counterintuitive to what you would have thought you were supposed to do. He prepared his... Um, he, he prepared his ways before the Lord his God, and it says that he became mighty as a result. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways, indeed they are written in the books of the kings of Israel and Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. So Jotham rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father had done. I don't know how many kids are going to be listening to the sermon at some point, um, or maybe some of you here have, 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 have godly parents, um, but who's ever listening and who's ever, whether you're here or not, don't throw away your parents' godly legacy. This guy just trashes his, the legacy that his father had given him. His father prepared his ways before the Lord is God, and Ahaz just throws it on the ground and just tramples on it, jumps up and down. Kids that grow up in godly homes have the choice to just trash their parents' legacy and everything that their parents taught them. It's free will. I am a free will guy. I believe in free will. There is a branch of Christianity that does not believe in free will. I'm not in that branch. This guy willingly chose to trash his parents' legacy. He knew it was right, but he didn't do right. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Now, what that means was the kings of Israel, that means the northern kingdom. Remember, there was never a good king in the northern kingdom. After David's grandson, Rehoboam, the kingdom had split in two between Israel in the north, Judah in the south. All the kings of Israel walked in the Baals and the foreign, after foreign gods, and they... they, they they did not walk in the ways of the Lord. They did not prepare their ways before the Lord. They didn't do that. They were, every king was wicked. And it says this guy, Ahaz, decided to walk like they walked. He made molded images for the Baals. So he started violating the second commandment. 
Second commandment, don't form anything. Don't make any image out of anything and then bow down to it. And that's what he's doing. He's violating the second commandment here. Verse 3, he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Wow! He's burning his own children in the fire. I've been told that the, you know, the particular practice was they, would, they had this God they would, and, and with um, hands of brass reaching out, then those hands of brass, they would get extremely hot and they would just place these young babies. Wow! This guy just goes so low. Verse 4, he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places on the hills and under every green tree. So green trees being an image of fertility. So this is just like sexual abominations happening. Fertility rites happening underneath green trees, under these places which... Um, um, which were, were well watered. There was trees and there was this idea that if you engage in these practices that there would be good fertility in the land. But really what people were doing, they were just worshiping pleasure. They had turned their pleasure into a god. Therefore the Lord is God to delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. So... God is just not going to support your lifestyle of sin. He's not going to do it. He will take down your defenses. He will allow things to come into your life and, and, and really chasten you. It says, They defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. So they, they took... The, the, the king of Syria um, came to Israel, um, took... Uh, took a number of the Israelite, a great multitude of them uh, as slaves and brought them back to Sirius, Syria. It says, then he was, he also, in other words, the king also was delivered into the hands of the king of Israel who defeated him with a great slaughter. So it's interesting there that at the end of verse 5, he, the king of Israel defeated him, crushed him with a great slaughter. And yet in verse 2 it says he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, meaning he was tempted by what they were doing. Kings of Israel, remember he's related to them. They're like, hey, you know, these are my cousins, you know. And, and he's, he, they're tempting him, tempting him to do um, evil. You'll really, really like this. And yet, in the end, what happens? He gets crushed by the very people who tempted him. The devil offers you great stuff. He offers you that, it, it, it looks great what he offers you. He doesn't tell you, though, about the consequences. 
He just tells you, uh, he just, what he shows you, he doesn't, he, he doesn't tell you um, when he's um, offering a life that is contrary to the word of God, he, he shows you the glamour of it, but he doesn't tell you up front, oh, and by the way, this will trash your relationships, it'll steal your health, steal your finances. He doesn't do that. He just, he just shows you the glamour of the life, the pleasure of the life, the enticement of the life. So I heard this, this expression. Judas joys. You know what Judas joys are? Does anyone want to take a guess at what Judas joys are? Anyone want to even guess? Anyone? Come on. What's the Judas joy? A Judas joy is uh, pleasures that kiss you and then they kill you. That's what a Judas joy is. A pleasure that kisses you. Because remember, that's what Judas did. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And then the pleasure kills you. And that's what Israel had offered. Israel, northern kingdom, had offered to Ahaz of the southern kingdom a Judas joy. Take this pleasure. They kissed him with it. Then they turned around and killed him. Israel came down and slaughtered them after having successfully tempted Ahaz and to the pleasures of his idolatry they turned around and killed him and again when they were tempting him with that pleasure they didn't say oh by the way eventually we're going to come around and kill you no Satan doesn't do that so they get slaughtered by Israel the very ones who he had been tempted by and embraced their idolatry and it says Pekah the son of Remaliah meant Pekah was a king of the northern kingdom he killed 120,000 in Judah in one day all valiant men because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers can you imagine if 120,000 people were killed in the United States of America in one day Can you imagine the headlines? Can you imagine CNN and Fox or Reuters, whatever it is? This is a serious, serious tragedy. Verse 7, Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, killed Messiah, the king's son, Azrakim, the officer over the house, and Elkanah, who was second uh, to the king. So Ahaz's own son is killed. Does he learn? Does he say, oh, you know something? Maybe I should remember the kind of life my dad lived and turn back to that. No, he didn't. He didn't at all. We'll see, we'll, we'll see that. But verse 8 is a further description of the judgment 
So Israel was the northern kingdom. Again, don't get confused. Israel, the northern kingdom, the enemy of Judah. Remember, Judah was the nation through whom the Messiah came. It says, the children of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women, sons, and daughters, and they also took away much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. So the northern kingdom Jews came down, defeated the southern kingdom Jews, and took 200,000 of them, killed 120,000 of them, and 200,000 of them took captive and carried them back to Samaria in chains. Now this is, for a student of the Bible, this is like, whoa, now, okay, this is, this is weird. What is going on here? Because it's Israel against Israel. It's one thing to go to war against them. It's another to make them slaves. Verse 9, but a prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Oded. I know an Oded, by the way. He's an evangelist. And he's one of those evangelists. He's, a, he's an evangelist to Jews. And um, he was here in Boston. Then he, he went over to Israel. And uh, a friend of mine, Garrett Smith, knows him real, real well. And he was just, I know, I've met him personally. He's been in, actually, he's been in John Egan's house a couple times uh, before John Egan was there. And, uh, but he's one of those guys that, that the Orthodox Jews would, would get so angry at him because he's out witnessing to them and they'll scream at him and insult him and say, well, just, he's one of those guys that's completely, completely is not affected by any kind of insult. He'll just love on the people he's evangelizing. Very, very gifted guy. This Oded guy that I know. Oded. And he went out before the army I'm sure, I'm sure he was named after this guy. And he went out before the army that came to Samaria and said to them, now, this is a guy who's got some guts. This army had just killed 120,000 people and taken 200,000 slaves. It says he went out before the army. It's like, who is this guy? To kill him. This is the courage that God will give you when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. I love that. This guy's as bold as a lion. He goes out, it says, before the army that came to Samaria and said to them, look, because the Lord God of your fathers was angry with Judah, he has delivered them into your hand, but you have killed them in a rage that reaches up to heaven. And now you propose to force the children of Judah and Jerusalem to be your male and female slaves. But are you not also guilty before the Lord your God? Now hear me, therefore, and return the captives whom you have taken captive, captive from your brethren for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. So they thought they were... I tell you, victory just does really weird things with your head. You think it's something about you. It was nothing to do with them. They were be their victory had nothing to do with them. They were being used by God to judge the southern kingdom 
because the Lord still had things, he, he, he still had great things that he wanted to do with the southern kingdom, Judah. But they got it in their own mind that it was something about them. And, oh, you know, we defeated these people. Now we own them, and we're going to take them. I know they're our cousins. And they're confronted by this prophet, and the prophet says, the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. You know what I pray? By the way, this is a rabbit trail. But I, I, I pray on Saturdays, I just pray, Lord God, that Calvary Chapel in the city, as well as myself, would understand that the wrath of God hangs over Boston for the exceedingly wickedness, generation after generation, for, for 250 years now, of just coming up with philosophies that are completely opposed to the Word of God and then exporting them, first to Hollywood and then everywhere else. The wrath of God hangs over this city. We are pr we're here, but right in the middle of it all, to pray to the Lord for a wonderful visitation of mercy. I believe the Lord's going to do it. Well, there was, there was mercy here, and, and the mercy came, as it so often does, just simply by someone who's teaching and, and declaring the word of God. This prophet comes to him and says, listen, you have the wrath of God that's hanging over you. You better turn around. You better repent, because what you're doing is exceedingly wrong. In case you're wondering where, is anyone wondering where? I hope so. Leviticus chapter 25. If one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor, you shall not compel him to serve as your slave. Leviticus 25, 39. Jews were not allowed to make Jews slaves. And these guys had just taken 200,000 of them and we're going to make them slaves. You know, be very, 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 very careful what you do with a Christian who backslides, like even in the worst way. Be very careful how you treat them because they've been bought by the blood of the Lamb. Be, be very careful what you do with a backslidden Christian that you don't just write them off or put them you know, in the penalty box doesn't mean that there are certain times, the Bible does say there are certain times we need to avoid someone who calls themselves a brother who's actively sinning. But I'm, I'm talking now really about someone who is sort of in a backslidden state, miserable with themselves, Be careful how you treat them. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 that they have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1, 7. More than that, it says in verse 18, they, as terrible as they look, and they're not an example of, of Jesus Christ, they're actually God's inheritance. Did you know that you are God's inheritance? Is that a weird thing or what? Ephesians 1, verse 18. God loves you so much. You're inherent. Yours inheritance. He loves you. Ephesians chapter 5 says, 
that you're the bride of Christ. Chapter 5, verse 27. It says you're the, the flesh of his flesh, the bones of his bones. And it's important that you remember that when someone... It's so easy to say, oh, they must not be saved. Let me tell you, I was just... had the honor and privilege of preaching a sermon two days ago in Peru of a church that has been pastored by a friend of mine. I've known him for 25 years. And we were elders together in Miami Beach. We went north to Boston. He went south to Lima. He became a pastor. He has a very thriving ministry. Now he's planted six or seven churches, so he can't be, he's so busy, he can't be the pastor of the church he's at anymore, and so he's going to be overseeing other churches. And the guy who is installed as, as pastor, his name is Hanado. I, I preached a sermon basically to him, even though there was a lot of other people present, because the sermon was about what it takes to be a pastor. And... Uh, this guy had come to the Lord in 2001, walked with God for four years, and then he turned his back on the Lord for 15. He was backslidden for 15 years, did all kinds of incredibly stupid stuff. And then 2017, he came back to the Lord, and now he's a senior pastor of a church. And you know, of, of a very thriving church, by the way, and and uh, you know, you can imagine that in, in that 15 years, it's very tempting to look at a guy like that and just say, just with this, with a despising heart, look, look, look at that guy, look, look what he's doing. He did a lot of stupid, stupid, stupid stuff. I'm not going to get into it. Look what he did, but the, he was. He was a blood-bought child of God. And the best thing to do is just let God deal with them, pray for them, love them in, 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 in any way that we can when someone's in a place um, like that. There's nothing more wonderful than seeing people who are backslidden come back to the Lord. And God may yet have a great plan for them. And you want to be a part of that plan, not an, an opposition to that plan. You want to be supportive of that plan. You want, to be, you, you want to look back thinking, oh, wow, praise the Lord. God used me to like, bring this, restore them, not to just try to keep them out and oppose the plan of God. But here Israel was, they, they're... Um, the, meaning the northern kingdom, their brothers in the south had been doing real stupid stuff and they just wanted to drag them through the mud. Don't drag someone through the mud who's a brother or sister in Christ ever. But that's what they were doing. They're confronted. They're confronted by this prophet, Oded. 
And then verse 12 says, Then some of the heads of the children of Ephraim, Azariah, the son of Johanan. I, like, I, I love how they name these names. Berechiah, the son of Meshilathmoth. Je, Jehezkiah, the son of Shalem. And Amasa, the son of Hadlai. Stood up against those who came from the war and said, You shall not bring the captives from here. We have already offended the Lord. You intend to add to our sins and to our guilt, for our guilt is great and there is fierce wrath against Israel. So here's some people who were in agreement with Oded. So apparently the army had continued on. Who is this wacko, fanatical? prophet who's getting in front of this army apparently they ignored him but then some of their own leaders believed the prophecy they believed it even though they were in the northern kingdom and northern kingdom was basically an apostate nation by this time meaning they, 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 as a whole not every one of them but as a whole they were not following the ways of god some of them come out and they realize what are we doing this is crazy. Leviticus 25 says we're never, a Jew is never supposed to make uh, another Jew a slave. And, and so um, it's verse 14. So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the leaders and all the assembly. So this is what you're supposed to do with a backslidden person. Everyone circle verse 15. Then the men who were designated by name rose up, took the captives and from the spoil, they clothed all who were naked among them, dressed them, gave them sandals, gave them food and drink, anointed them, meaning with oil, and they let all their feeble ones ride on donkeys. So they brought them to their brethren at Jericho, the city of Palms. Then they returned to Samaria. I tell you, that is one, one, one beautiful verse right there. It really is. What is love? Agape love. It's defined in 1 Corinthians 13.4. Love suffers long and is. Shout it out. Love suffers long and is kind. This is kindness. This is what kindness is right here. Kindness is undeserved blessing. Just blessing someone who doesn't deserve it. Or blessing some, uh, undeserved or is in a place where they're just outcasts, they're down, they're, they're in a place of incredible vulnerability and you just go to them and you somehow bless them. That's kindness. I was in the corporate world for 13 years, and I used to think, I tell you, I never see kindness around here, like ever. <laughs> and I was very, very, very thankful for the company I worked for. Wow, they provided for me. Um, and very thankful to, to the corporation and the family who, who owns it. I really, really am. But I didn't see kindness. You do not see kindness in the world. You just don't. This is kindness. This wonderful picture. They take these women and their sons and their daughters. They dress them. They, they anointed them. It's interesting how even in the north there, with all its wickedness, 
you have people living for Jesus. You have people, like we talked about at the beginning of the message tonight, that, that though the nation is living corruptly around them, they're not saying, oh, you know, I am, I'm just going to live like them. They're not living according to the standard that's been set by the people around them. They live according to the standard of the Word of God. And so they're blessing these very, very vulnerable people. And think about it, a lot of these women who are there, because remember, these women, their husbands are dead. It says the people who would, it says in verse 8, they had taken away 200,000 women. Their husbands were dead. Sons and daughters, very vulnerable, and they're just blessing them. As you bless a widow and an orphan, the book of James says pure and faultless religion is this, to help widows and orphans in their time of distress or their time of need. That's what pure and faultless religion is. And to keep yourself polluted from the world, it says, but here's a, here's a great example of that. But then, verse 16, does Ahaz learn anything Anything. He's crushed, 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 crushed to the ground. Does he learn anything from it? No. Verse 16 says, at the, time, at the same time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria to help him. For again, the Edomites had come, attacked Judah, and carried away captives. The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the... So this guy's just being defeated by everybody. The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowland and the, of the south of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Ahalon, Gedereth, Sokoth with its villages, Timnah with its villages, Gimzo with its villages, and they dwelt there. For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. He had encouraged moral decline, meaning he wasn't just sitting by himself doing his sin in secret. He had encouraged it. I remember a couple of years ago just talking to, 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 to someone in the church who was uh, just can't get off weed for the longest time and done everything I can to love this person, encourage them, so much Bible sharing with them. But then I heard that the person had been encouraging others in the church to have weed. And so then the whole picture changed. He was encouraging the moral decline. It was more than, it was more than um, doing a sin in secret. He was encouraging others in. I tell you, when you do that, you're in big trouble with me. <laughs> You're in big trouble with the Lord. Still need to love the person. Still need to 
But I tell you, that's where you draw the line. When you start encouraging, Jesus says, woe to the one who causes one of these little ones to sin. It's better that he... put a millstone around his neck and throw himself into the middle of the sea. God really doesn't like you to encourage others into sin. Not that it's okay to have your sin in private either, but when you start dragging others into it, let's read that, this again. Because this is really, really a significant verse, verse 19. It's one to sin on your own. It says, the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel. Why? Because he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been con continually unfaithful to the Lord. Also, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came to him and distressed him and did not assist him. So he went looking for help from this Assyrian king, he didn't, give, he didn't get any help. He only got distress uh, from him. Verse 21, Then Ahaz took part of the treasures from the house of the Lord, from the house of the king, and from the leaders, and he gave it to the king of Assyria, but he did not help him. Now, in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. That is, this is that King Ahaz. In other words, by, by this time, this guy uh, was famous. Like generations later, when this was written, people know about a King Ahaz who had been really wicked and evil and encouraged moral decline. And he says, this is that King Ahaz. Yes, this is that one. It says that he became increasingly, it says he in the time of his distress, he became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. He never got it. And this is always shocking to me, especially to people who have seen the goodness of the Lord. Like Hebrews chapter 6 says, they've seen, they've tasted the Lord and seen that he was seeing that he's good, they've been with the people of the Lord, they've experienced the warmth of being in the body of Christ, but they keep on latching on to sin and more and more and more sin. And you're like, how could this possibly be the case? And it's the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. It fools you. It lies to you. And he never goes back. From time to time, you know, you do see people all of a sudden like the prodigal son get it. It's like, wait, 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 what am I doing? I got to go back to my father's house. Not this guy, King Ahaz. He became increasingly unfaithful. Verse 23, he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, because the gods of the king of Syria help them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all Israel. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of, of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God. He shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. You know, this is the person who, when their life is a complete wreck, they get mad at God. So he's mad at God. He's shutting up the doors of the temple. Again, this is what we do in our rebellion. We're getting mad 
at the Lord, even though we brought the misery on ourselves. In every single city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Now the rest of his acts and all his ways from first to last, indeed they are written in the books of the kings of, of Judah and Israel. So Ahaz has rested with his fathers and they buried him in the city in Jerusalem, but they did not bring him into the tom tombs of the kings of Israel. Meaning, people like knew this guy this guy's a wicked guy and we're not going to give him the, the honor of being anywhere the burial place of Jehoshaphat or Asa or David we don't want him being anywhere near these guys but then oddly enough look at the last sentence of the chapter then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Say what? <laughs> so here you have Hezekiah. It's another one of those kings who, so encouraging to read about, he just brings in a massive revival, sends people uh, all over the country, and then commands them to leave the country to tell people about God. Everyone's got a choice. You have a choice. To live like your godly parents. And you also have a choice to not live like your ungodly parents. You have a choice. And so, the next time we're in Chronicles, next week will be a time of prayer. It's the first Tuesday of, of the month. So we'll be seeking the Lord. But in a couple of weeks, we'll be talking about Hezekiah. Oh, I'm always so encouraged by reading about Hezekiah. I love, I love it. There's a great revival, and it says all the people rejoice because it happened so suddenly. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for in our city here.